Greetings. Welcome to the Ontic Protective Intelligence Podcast. I'm Chuck Randolph, Ontic's Vice President of Security and Intelligence. From 30 years as a military officer and 20 transforming corporate security teams to function beyond their traditional roles, protection, risk management, and threat mitigation have been front and center throughout my career. This podcast series will explore the turbulent world of risk, security, and protective strategies through conversations with leaders and innovators in the field. Now, on to the conversation. Well, I'm very excited about this interview today because it's not often that you get both a Ground education problem solving, so of course, that often, James, when people ask me about you, I'm like, you're the mix between a John Grisham and a Tom Clancy character. Well, you're very generous because I, <laughs> I like both authors, and it's <laughs> great to be here. Well, let, let me now people are like, what are you talking about? Let, let me kind of frame that. So as a young private investigator. You do something. This is. I had gotten a call for a new assignment. And I said, okay, I'm ready to take it. And they said, no, we need you to fly out. So I flew out to um, St. Paul, spoke to this organization. And what it ended up being was we, we, you know, we wanted, you know, they wanted a, a deep due diligence background uh, check on some individuals that they were doing business with because they were trying to make a better business decision. And at that point, I realized like, look, there's far more to this investigation and intelligence realm than most people even realize. And years later, uh, when I ran across you, James, uh, you you strike me as somebody who who has lived in that realm uh, time and time again and been very successful about it. So I'd like to start by kind of asking you this, you know, kind of level setting question. What's the difference between a background check and a due, del- due diligence investigation? Again, thanks, Chuck. And We'll get back to that Lexus Nexus uh, experience you had <laughs> because I think it's important. You know, where do you get data? How do you make a transition from doing background checks to uh, or some other intelligence or security function to doing diligence? So I hope we can put a pin in that. You know, due diligence is really about business judgment. And when I think about the difference between a background check and due diligence, I, I sort of have two different scenarios. You know, does the new truck driver I want to hire in Seattle have a record for drunk driving? You know, that's something that you can do a background check on. Um, you know, a due diligence might be a different type of, of circumstance. You know, before I invest $100 million of my shareholders' money in an acquisition of this Singaporean electronic vehicle company? Do I have enough information to validate my assumptions about the deal's risks and satisfy stakeholders that this is a good business decision? You know, that's more of a due diligence type of question. 
It's interesting to me, though, because both begin with a question. You know, we're trying to get to an answer. One might be more of a, a binary approach. Hey, we just need to go to the courthouse or maybe in this day and age, get online and find out if the driver has uh, drunk driving in the background and, and what we need to manage that. And the other one is trying to understand, you know, what we need to find out in order to, you know, both, I guess, are creating uh, understanding assumptions and questions and creating um, bullets and, and factoids that we can then present and say, well, here's what you need to do to make a decision. You know, am, am I not putting enough on that or is that ba the basic core to both of those? Yeah, I, I think both background checks and, and due diligence are about asking questions and being curious about what's really going on about um, a company or an individual. Um, it's just what are the layers of complexity that you're looking for and um, how many people are involved in making that decision. And diligence is more of a team sport. Um, you can't just get a, an answer from you know, one, one vendor or one data source or one function within the company. Um, people have to work together and um, test each other's assumptions and 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 look for answers collectively. And you know, I sometimes I'm a part of that team, and sometimes I'm not. And we can get into that. You know, it's interesting to me because you know, if you're thinking about deeper intelligence or or due diligence work, especially internationally, which is where you know a majority of your time is spent. You're right. It's not as easy as like, hey, I'm just going to go on to a Lexus and Nexus or somewhere else and just plug it in and, and, and find the information. I mean, sometimes because you're dealing with, you know, let's just say that uh, in Asia, there is no one stop shop. So, again, understanding what the question is helps you understand the approach and what you need to do to go out and find the answers or, you know, validate the assumptions or invalidate them to to get to get to the point to where you can make make a decision. Yeah. And the opposite is also true. I think we're living in a world where everybody has an opinion and um, there's lots of different data sources and people are concerned about the reliability of those data sources. And so uh, at some point, things come around to um, working with people that you trust to give you the best answers they possibly can. And, uh, you know, when a in a due diligence scenario like I spoke about, you're going to have all sorts of, if you're the, the senior executive of a, of a company, um, an investor, you're going to have all sorts of people come at you with their view of things. And, you know, you can go on to Google and, and get the world. Um, so you have to work with people that you trust who have some track record of success, some um some value add uh, to really give you their best advice and their best assessment of, of what they see. And, um, you know, I've been fortunate to um, have done that for the better part of 30 years. Well, I, and, and how did you get your start, James, in this world? Because again, I, I think you're in a, you're in an area that's kind of a nexus between, you know, intelligence and investigations. I don't think one could just pin like, here's exactly what James Tunkey does. Here's exactly what, you know, segment of the, of the industry he's in. So, I mean, how did you find your way in 
to this, uh, you know, this larger, more broader uh, security and risk role? Well, I, I started as a working as a kid. My first job um, was working in my mother's kitchen when I was eight. And, um, you know, I was was working um, 40 hour weeks um, to help out and um, do the best I could when I was still in high school. So I'd had a lot of work experience even before um, getting out of college. And I had come from uh, a family background with lots of entrepreneurs. And so I'd seen um, people make business decisions and was always that kid kind of in the backseat of the car, Chuck, that, you know, sort of leans forward and, you know, listens in and figures out what was going on. So I was, I was always curious and I was able to translate that into this job because I am extremely curious about how people build businesses, um, who's behind them, what makes them successful, are they good or bad people to work with? And I've always come from a place of trying to be helpful to uh, and protect the people around me. And so I, I think that makes me you know, good at what I do. That's excellent. I really appreciate that. Let me follow on with something. If, if we both agree that curiosity is a key component to doing the type of work that you're involved in, just kind of off the top of your head, James, what might be the, the two or three other key components, you know, to being to being a good practitioner in due diligence and in intelligence, corporate intelligence work and in, you know, a good practitioner? Well, I, I, I think that another component is understanding kind of a truth that, you know, many types of unethical or criminal behaviors or concerning actions never really get publicly reported. And sometimes bad behavior is happening in real time and hasn't emerged into the open. So, you know, sometimes the problems are kind of kept out of the headlines. And so you have to have an appreciation that you may not be able to click a few buttons and find an answer. You may have to go out and, and get it. And, you know, then I, I think another function is really just understanding that business problems are different than other types of problems and um, what what drives senior executives is a little different than what drives executives in a, a, um, a government or non-government organization. And, and um, so I think it's really critical if you're going to be in the business side of due diligence to have a, a business orientation. We'll get back to the conversation in just a moment. But first, I wanted to tell you a little bit about Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. In the world of safety, security, and protection, we know that gathering and sharing information is crucial. That is why we created the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. The center is a trusted resource for those in security, safety, and protection communities. We share strategies and best practices, insights on current and historical trends, and lessons learned through dialogue, discourse, and alternative analysis from some of the industry's top practitioners. To find blogs, podcasts, webinars, white papers, and more, check out the center by visiting ontic.co slash center. That's ontic.co slash center. Do people often get that wrong? I, I, uh, 
I think that's interesting and fascinating what you say about, look, senior business executive, you senior business executives or decision makers in a corporation uh, often have a different mindset than, say, uh, a senior political advisor or a senior political leader in, in a nation state. Do you find that people like conf- confuse those often? In my experience, a lot of people that come out of government roles have all sorts of assumptions about how the world should work or biases about how decisions should be made or how they are made. Mm-hmm. And they really don't sync with executive leadership. And, you know, I, I, since I've been with Ionesia, you know, this is my, I don't know, 18th, 19th year, somewhere in there. And just sort of looking at the tally, I think I'm up to 5,300 projects or thereabout in those years. Um, you know, that's a lot of, of business cases uh, that I've kind of looked at. And so, you know, people that, you know, I think that what gives me an advantage is I've really immersed myself in business challenges and um and so it just i have a different set of experiences that's all and uh, i think that's appreciated and recognized by business leaders and i think that's what they're looking for they're looking for people who understand their business um, and understand their industry and understand challenges james would you consider yourself an investigator or an intelligence practitioner i'm definitely neither uh, I'm, <laughs> well, then, then, then what are you? I'm a risk manager. I'm a risk consultant. I have a, a focus on fraud investigations and corruption investigations. Um, I'm intellectual property rights protection. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I know a lot about Southeast Asia and North Asia. Um, so I, I consider myself a specialist at advising on risks in those areas. It's fascinating though, because there is such a, there's such a through line, I guess, if you'll allow me that through risk, you know, being a risk manager, being an intelligence practitioner, being a learned investigator. And when I hear you talk about things like, look, you know, uh, components being good at what I do is curious, speaking truth to power. Um, being a lifelong learner. I mean, these are, these are traits that, you know, you would see in either, either of those other areas as well. I mean, and then, you know, bias, uh, in dealing with bias, I mean, over 5,000 cases, I mean, surely you've come up with your own methodologies and and ways to deal with bias. I mean, how do you, um, how would you, uh, how would you suggest people listening in start thinking more around dealing with biases and dealing and coming up with their own methodologies if they if they want to get more into the space that you're in well i I think finding a a methodology and um a model for approaching risk is a source of competitive advantage if you feel that you can understand an area of the world and you um you are able to look for indicators um, that will tell you what the future might look like. And you can do that accurately and reliably. Um, You should have uh, the basis for, uh, you know, 
making uh, good um, business decisions and and helping people. And um, so, you know, I I really spent a lot of time before joining Ionesia um, thinking about different risk management approaches and different risk management models and um, the types of fraud and, and corruption risk um, advisory work that I do for an, uh, Foreign Corrupt Practices Act due diligence might look for indicators that are reliable for, um, for those types of challenges. And if I was looking at, you know, critical infrastructure risk for a, a new facility in one city in Eastern Europe over another, I, I might use a different model and approach. And, and so, you know, for me, that the skill set of, of being an investigator um, or an intelligence officer um, is very handy, um, but it's it's not really um, it's not really all that I do. Um, and I think that the the world um, has always had labels, uh, and so you know these are are labels that are sometimes useful for helping other people understand what box I might be in. Um, but they're, they're not really the quite the appropriate labels for me. And so as people are looking for kind of coming into this industry or hiring me, I guess what I would say is um, I am, yes, definitely curious. I definitely work with a great team who can get answers to questions and have a methodology for understanding what upside and downside risks might be there and the experience to give good advice. So, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's that's how people could follow in my path. Well, I'm, I also know a little bit more about your background than most. And, you know, at one point you 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 were a reporter. So, you know, under, you know, if we say, hey, look, I love the idea. Look, you can't really label me and you can't really label what I do because I feel that's probably far more appropriate now because, you know, it, it speaks to the ability of being a problem solver at its strategic, you know, at a strategic uh, vantage point. How did how did your time as reporter influence your ability to do research intelligence investigation and and work in this you know this greater fraud and risk management uh, category the first job that i had was clipping papers uh well in in journalism the first job that i had was clipping papers for uh the wall street journal mm -hmm. and i was in the beijing bureau and and really was reading um the chinese language press and um clipping out articles that might be important and arranging them in the library. So um, I think that's the first step is um, understanding what data might be out there in the public domain and organizing it properly. So I, I definitely developed that skill. And then, you know, when I was a, a staff reporter at, at the Asian Venture Capital Journal, and then was doing some other stringer work at the South China Morning Post. Uh, I learned how to write about business topics, and I mean, you know, talking about the next brand of soap, um, as Bob Dylan used to say, <laughs> that could be incredibly boring. Um, but um, you know, really finding what's interesting about this business, um, what's interesting about its people, and how do you convey that um, 
through uh, the written word in a way that, you know, was clear, um, was a skill that I honed while a reporter. I think that's incredible because many, you see many get that, that discussion to the stakeholder or discussion to the business incorrect. You know, I, I think you and I've actually talked before about, Hey, look, like you said, I need to understand the business I'm in. I also need to understand how to give and, um, how to present information to the stakeholders that will allow them to make decisions. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's, it's something that I am constantly trying to improve and every, every executive has a different view. And uh, so you have to be constantly learning and trying to think about who your audience is and how to communicate to that person or people. Do you feel, you know, I'm out here and I'm listening and this is interesting to me. I'd like to be an international person of mystery like James and I'd like to get out there. James, do I have to have, do I have to be former .gov or .mil or .three-letter agency to to do the work? No, and I I thank you, do not. We, um, We as a business really... We are consultants. Uh, we are, you know, not some privatized agency, uh, and so we're really looking for people who understand business and understand risk and know how to collect um, data in a legal and professional manner, um, and um, report it out in a way that's clear and reliable, and that you don't need to be from that. Um, with from that background, um, but for those who are, I think you know the flip side is also true that there's so many great ways to contribute to a business with the skill set that you um, you gathered, um, you know, in your prior work. Yeah, I was going to say what you know with that flip side coin just for a second. I mean, what advice do you give people who are coming out of the the government, whether it's U.S. government or or somewhere else, what advice do you give to somebody coming out of a government uh, or public space that is going into this line of work in, in the private sector? Whether it's intelligence, investigations, due diligence, fraud. I mean, w- what would you tell them? Well, yeah, we serve so many clients. Some of them are uh, people who've come out of government, and um, you know, in looking at how they're successful inside of um, the corporate security or um, similar function, um, I would say that the the key quality is really spending a lot of time listening to the other parts of the business and and investing in understanding um, what the business's goals are and and, um, how it functions. And, And so getting out of the, you know, the basement, ops center and uh, um, helping to deliver uh, stuff to the store shelves and talk to customers and be involved in new product development and um, you know eating that um, that test hamburger in the in the kitchen downstairs and understanding how the chefs make it I mean all these are mm-hmm. you know they're they're really important and the more successful executives do that and then I, I think that the, the the other sort of core piece of advice is the, is to really understand hey what's 
what's my own personal value? What do I understand really, really well? And, you know, if it's, um, you know, if it's risks in South Sudan, well, I mean, who are the people that are, that are delivering goods and services in South Sudan? That's probably where I'm most aligned. Um, you know, how does my cross-cultural understanding and language ability really help me add value to the business? It's really thinking more broadly than just, um, it makes me a better analyst of, of, you know, particular um, terrorist cells in South Sudan. So uh, how are other ways, I mean, really what we're talking about here, or maybe, you know, what you're uh, suggesting is, hey, look, you got to get out of your comfort zone. So what other ways would you recommend for folks to, to get out of their intellectual comfort zone? If you're like, hey, I want to, I want to be more of an international, uh, I want to work at the international level. I want to do more broad activities. You know, how, what are other ways that we can, we can broaden ourselves intellectually so we're prepared to kind of get outside of our bias, prepared to take in, you know, take in the information and start approaching problems with, with that uh, larger mindset? Well, I mean, when I was growing up, we went to a different um, church, a different denomination every Easter uh, or Passover. Um, I think it's, it can start at home and really being open to other people's cultures. Um, and it's about taking risks. You know, I, I finished my undergraduate in Beijing. I, I, I stayed. I did not have a ticket home. On purpose? I mean, when I, I'm, not, I'm not being tongue-in-cheek. I mean, on purpose, you just say, I'm not going to do that. No, I purposely gave up my ticket home to stay in China because I thought that's where the opportunity was. I, um, I paid for my own way through graduate school. Um, I have paid my own way through every other course that you might see on LinkedIn. Um, and uh, I've always been out there trying to continue to better myself. So I, I think it's about being willing to take risks and um, on your own career and, and being willing to, um, you know, to go places where the, the future growth might be, despite the fact that you're, you know, your family members might think you're nuts. So what advice do you have for people to deal with setbacks? You know, others might say failure or whatever. I, I tend to like the word setback because it's just a learning opportunity. So how do you, you know, and again, you've been around from, you know, it's not your first rodeo. You've been around for a while. I mean, how, how does one face and deal with setbacks and come back even stronger? Well, you know, the whole point in life is to understand that there's going to be ups and downs and um, to, you know, to sort of talk to somebody in the moment who might be experiencing a setback Um I'm very sympathetic when that happens. And I think you have to be trying new things when times are good and trying new things when times are bad. And um, you have to be, uh, I mean, you have to sort of be a, a part of, of the American myth, which is that um, you could go be a bankrupt two, three times over and, and the next time around you might be a multimillionaire. And um, failure is still acceptable here. And so, um, you know, if you're experiencing a setback, it's about, you know, trying to figure out what can I break apart out of this machine that didn't work, that still has value and, and, and that people are interested in and that I find joyful. 
and um, you know make that my future. Yeah, I I love that, and I appreciate you. I appreciate you bringing that out. I know something I've always respected about you is you're always what I would call the hope the the hopeful pessimist or pessimistically optimistic or however you want to say that. But in, for the most part, where I see others that are kind of maybe preaching the doom and gloom, you're always the let's think about this though. You know, it's almost like you're you know, critical thinking is something that you've embraced and you're probably one of the better critical thinkers I know. You know, I know you have a large, you know, uh, you deal in the Asia Pacific theater quite a bit. It's something I, I dealt with in my military time as well. I mean, as we look at the landscape that we're approaching, as we look at the, you know, you know, depending on the economists you listen to, what's coming up, I mean, what's hopeful out there to you? You know, with this idea of like, instead of, you know, you and I were talking before, like most people think when you think like risk management, automatically there's something negative about it. But your approach is more of a positive risk taking approach. What's hopeful out there for us? What should we be thinking about? Well, Chuck, you know, as soon as somebody's got this conviction that the world is doom and gloom and writes a book about it is usually when I start asking myself, what am I missing here? And mm -hmm. um, the same on the other side, when Every taxi driver is saying that now's the right time to do X or Y. That's usually when I start when I start looking for where the exit might be. And you know, my increasing focus is on the importance of positive risk taking. Um, it's not just about looking for indicators of downside risk in my job. It's about applying a reliable methodology to diligence that identifies upside. And, um, you know, today there's a lot of capital sitting on the sidelines, a lot of dried powder for future deals and new risks are being identified and old, old risks are being repriced. And, um, you know, in, in the context of Asia, I think that there's going to be a lot of room for growth out in Asia. Um, and that's definitely Singapore, Southeast Asia in 2023, as well as Hong Kong and greater China. And, you know, I think that there's a lot of pessimism in the United States about our um, the U.S.-China relationship. And, um, you know, I, I think talking to the people that are our clients that, you know, they see a lot of a lot of hopeful signs for the for the year ahead. So perhaps by the time this podcast gets um, gets published, you know, we're recording in January, um, you know, time will tell. But, um, you know. I expect that there's going to be a lot of growth in Asia in the year ahead. Yeah, I love that, and I love your your positive outlook on things, James. It's it's always it's always great to talk to you. Always great to catch up. Uh, I look forward to seeing you again. Again, I think next month in in the month after that. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be good time. And we really appreciate you taking time to come on to the uh, Protective Intelligence Podcast. Thanks, Chuck. I'm super grateful. This episode was brought to you by the Ontic Center for Protective Intelligence. Learn more at ontic.co slash center. Again, that's ontic.co slash center. It was produced by AJ McKeon. Our music is a track called Monteverde Ride and was written by Brian Bristow and performed by Smoke and Novas. Check them out on Spotify. 
please remember to rate and review our podcast on iTunes and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have questions, we'd love to hear them. You can reach us at podcast at ontic.co or visit ontic.co slash center for more information. Thanks for listening.